John 11 verse 28 says, And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard it, she rose quickly and came to him. That's Jesus. And Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when she saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. And then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. And she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? And Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they took away this stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And Father, we just ask now in the name of Jesus that you would prepare each and every one of us by your authority and great power to be able to have a sensitive heart and an open ear to see and to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church that's assembled this morning. Speak to us from your word, Lord, personally and directly and bless it as it goes forth into our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, I don't think any of us would disagree that probably one of the most powerful as well as one of the most permanent forces that exists on this planet is the force or the power of death. Uh, it's very evident that no person can escape or defeat the experience of death as a human being. It's also reality that no one is able to reverse the effect of death when it takes place. Death indicates an end. There's a, there's a very permanence about the experience of death that is unless God gets involved. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 that God gives life to the dead. And this is a chapter in Scripture where we have that evidenced for us. Today's section we can see deals with and demonstrates Jesus, who was God in human flesh. It demonstrates Jesus' power over death. We find Jesus here responding to an urgent plea of a family who he knew and whom he loved. 
and a family who it seems he'd even become somewhat acquainted with, sort of a personal friendship had developed. Jesus would periodically lodge at their home, we see in the Gospels. And the problem or the tragedy that had invaded this home was that Lazarus, their brother, had become sick, and not just sick, but he had a life-threatening illness. And so they sent word to Jesus, knowing that he loved them and believing that he cared and had the power to help them in this process that they were dealing with in their brother's terminal illness. It really, as we pick up here in verse 28 this morning, it's a continuation of a story that began right at the beginning of the chapter and the context and the backdrop to the whole story. It's a lengthy chapter, John chapter 11, really is one of those uh, critical things to understand. So if I can uh, sort of beg for your patience for a moment, I think it would very much be helpful to us to read from verse 1 through 27, I promise no commentary. I'm going to keep my, my promise on that. But just to read verses 1 through 27 as we pick up in the 28th verse this morning, because it really will help us to grasp the entirety of what the Holy Spirit's conveying to us in this chapter, to reacquaint us with everything that's happening in this incredible story in the account of Jesus. So look with me back in verse 1. Let's just read through the first 27 verses we looked at last time. It says, A certain man was sick. It was Lazarus of Bethany of the town of Mary and Martha, her sister. And it was that same Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is called the twins, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And we pick up in verse 28. And when she had said these things, she then went her way and secretly called her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. So it appears in this account that after Jesus interacts with Martha, and he helps Martha to sort of process the grieving and the confusion and why he delayed in coming and now her brother has been dead for four days by the time that Jesus arrives at this point, that after Jesus talks this through with her and expresses his concern for her, it seems he now expresses probably to Martha in that conversation his concern for Mary the sister who is still sitting in the house and did not come out to the edge of town like Martha ran out initially hearing of Jesus' coming. It says here uh, that Jesus must have been asking for her, the text tells us, so I sense perhaps Jesus said something to Martha after talking to her like, Martha, how's Mary? How's she holding up? I mean, you came to see me, but but how's she doing? And, And he expresses his concern, which probably then leads him to send Martha back to the home and to get Mary to come out to where he was. And it says that Martha runs back and it says that she secretly informs Mary to come because Jesus is now asking for her as well. Now, the reason that she would ask secretly was because of the presence of many of the Jews that had assembled from Jerusalem, amongst which were many of the religious leaders. And we know at this time that Jesus is experiencing incredible opposition from the religious establishment. More than that, they've tried multiple times to put him to death. So because of this, she kind of runs back to the home there. She probably pulls Mary aside among the crowd that was gathering. Many mourners were there to comfort the family. And she probably whispers into Mary's ear, Jesus is asking for you. He, he's here. He's right at the edge of town. I just went and found him and, and he wants to speak to you as well. Well, it's at that point, verse 29 says, as soon as Mary heard that, she arose and quickly came to Jesus. And Jesus had not yet come into the town, verse 30, but was in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus was right outside the town in the area where he and Martha had just had their little dialogue together. And Mary, who loved Jesus and who is clearly going through a very hard time in her life right now, both circumstantially as well as emotionally, the death process of her brother. I mean, she's in a very difficult hour of her life. She quickly accepted and acted upon the opportunity of Jesus's nearness to where she was. And it says here, verse 30, that she arose immediately and she came to Jesus She takes advantage of the nearness of the Lord in the midst of a very hard and difficult hour in her life. And I look at this and I think, what a beautiful picture of what's available to all of us in our hardships, in our tragedies, whether it's the death experience of a loved one or some just life difficulty. In our times of heartbreak, the Bible tells us that the Lord actually pursues us. The scriptures tell us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. There's something magnetically attractive to our Lord in the times when our hearts are absolutely broken and we're weighed down with sorrow and grief and difficulty and hardship that he actually seeks us out 
and draws close to us and if you would sort of calls us to himself like we see happening here with Mary and let me just say we should take advantage of those opportunities to realize that when our heart is hurting and we're grieving and we're going through a hard time that the opportunity of the presence of the Lord being very near to us is there so that we might take advantage of his help and his comfort and his counsel in those times to give us the ability to be able to adjust and to cope with those situations and to give us the counsel we need to walk through that. And Jesus can help us even as he's helping these sisters here. And we need to do what Mary did, and that's this, to realize he is near and to come to him, to run to him, to not delay or, or even before we come to anyone else, to just come right to him and to realize that he can help us in his comfort and counsel better than anyone. Well, our story goes on by saying, verse 31, then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, they followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. So as amidst her grief and her sorrow, she abruptly kind of gets up, maybe after they see Martha whisper into her ear, and she says nothing, she just hops up and she runs out of the house there and starts moving away. The people assume who are there comforting her, they just assume, we can tell the text here says to us, that she's going back to the grave site, back to the tomb of Lazarus, her brother who's recently died, to just continue weeping and grieving there at the tomb. Now, take notice, not knowing all the details, they misunderstand what Mary is doing at that moment. They thought that she was behaving the way she was behaving in this hardship in her life to just go to the tomb and keep grieving more when actually she was endeavoring to go and get away from where she was to go to Jesus and to seek him so that he could help him in handling what she was dealing with in her life. And there was a misunderstanding in the midst of watching someone going through a hard time. And let me just remind us, when we are comforting someone going through a hard time, like these comforters were there with the family, it is a wonderful thing and a great thing to remain with people in hardship, to have a ministry of presence, to comfort them, to be by their side. But we always need to be very careful that we do not at times make assumptions that we know exactly what's going on inside of their life. Because here's the bottom line. You never have all the details. You never have all the facts. You may be the most closely associated individual, but you have no idea what's going on between them and the Lord. You have no idea what they're thinking or feeling at times. And we don't all have the details. We don't know everything that a person is processing and we have to be careful that we don't just assume or wrongly misunderstand like those here in this story that we know it's much better to ask than to just assume, especially when somebody's in the midst of a hardship and a difficulty. It could be that they're responding in the way they are in a reason completely different than what we just assume they're responding that way for. It could be that their intention is something radically different. Maybe they're trying to seek the Lord and we're just misreading what may be taking place in some way. So they think she's going back to the tomb to just grieve further. She's rushing out to go connect with Jesus. Verse 32 says, when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not 
have died. So upon arriving to where Jesus was, she enters into the presence of the Lord and how beautiful. It just says she falls down at his feet and she just starts pouring her heart out to the Lord. Now, Mary's an interesting study because she's found three times in the gospel records and all three times that you find Mary in the gospel records, she's at the feet of Jesus. That says a lot about her heart and it gives us really a great example for our own lives. In Luke chapter 10, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to his word. Then in John chapter 12, you find Mary kneeling humbly at the feet of Jesus and she's offering praise and worship towards the Lord. And then here in the Bible, we find Mary falling down at the feet of Jesus to pour out her heart in a time of great difficulty in her life. And can I just say for thus, all of us this morning, those are very good, all three of them, important reasons why on occasion we need to go and position ourselves at the feet of Jesus in humility. For example, despite our all busyness and our schedules and all the work and things we have to do, it is a good thing. It is an important thing. We must all at times make the choice to take time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the Lord and to hear his word. It tells us in Luke chapter 11 that Martha and Mary are having this difficulty because Martha's upset that Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his word and she's not doing all the busyness and all the work and Jesus says she has chosen the better part. In other words, he indicates that it was a choice. She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. It wasn't that there weren't things to do. Jesus isn't condoning laziness. What he's indicating is that we have to make a choice to sit at his feet because there is a lot to do in life. But we have to choose. Yeah, you're like, oh, you understand, I'm busy. Everybody's busy. That's why you have to choose to sit at his feet. That's why you have to choose. Say, well, I guess I have to get up this much earlier. I have to choose to go sit by myself and stuff my sandwich in my face at lunch and read my Bible away from everybody else. Or I have to choose to not watch the next episode of whatever dumb things on TV next and pull away from the living room for a half hour and go sit down alone, quiet with Jesus and say, Lord, speak to me. And we have to choose to do that. This is a vital thing. I don't know how we operate in this chaotic world as Christians effectively if we don't choose to sit at the feet of Jesus and take time to hear his word, what it needs to say to us, and hear his voice. And like Mary as well, it's important that we recognize the worth of Jesus and are spiritually sensitive enough at times to position ourselves at the feet of Jesus and to give to him worship and praise. We'll see this in John chapter 12, the beautiful example of Mary doing that and how we as well need to at times take time to sit at his feet and just worship him and pour out our love and our expression of devotion towards him. And finally, there is no better time as well to sit at the feet of Jesus, to come to the feet of the Lord than like we see here in John chapter 11 where Martha comes in difficulty and hardship. And what is she doing? She just pours out her heart to the Lord. Listen, when your world is crumbling, don't stiffen your neck, bend your knee at the feet of Jesus and pour out your heart to the Lord and just pour out your heart in the midst of the grief and the difficulty and the confusion and things you can't figure out. She says to him here, Lord, at his feet, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that should sound familiar. That's the same thing that Martha, her sister, had said. They're both struggling with the same thing in regards to their brother's death. There's a measure of confusion and, and concern. The idea here is kind of, Lord, why, why did you let this happen this way? Lord, you could have been here sooner. And, and there's a level of, of she doesn't understand, like we talked about last week. They don't understand why the Lord worked in the way that he did. And we've all been there. Lord, if you had only worked this way, Lord, why did this happen this way? And if you had only done it this way, then it, this could have happened. And Lord, you could have prevented this. And we all have those if prayers and those times where we don't understand and we have to wrestle our questions through with God and pour out our heart. And that's what's happening here. We find Mary doing that very thing in this moment. Well, verse 33 says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her there weeping at his feet and the Jews who had come with her weeping as well, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled. So as Jesus is amongst this grieving, sorrowing woman as the result of the death of a loved one, his heart, the Bible shows us there in verse 33 in the text, is clearly deeply, deeply moved. It says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I want you to see that as Jesus is with family and friends, people weeping at a memorial service, what we would consider like a funeral gathering and this tragedy that's happened, he is heavily burdened and troubled with the pain that he sees among humanity, the turmoil and the confusion. It bothered Jesus to see people suffering and struggling. It deeply touched him, the weight of that. It burdened him as he observed people wrestling through grief and hard experiences in life. And in this passage, we see the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the sympathy of the Lord, that it touched him deeply when he was with hurting people. It says that when he observed them weeping and struggling, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You almost sense like a sigh there of, of difficulty in the Lord. And can I say again, remember, this is God in human flesh. This is God among humanity, which shows us that our God is not aloof. He's not disconnected. He's a personal God who wants personal contact and is personally concerned. The Bible says that he actually stores our tears in a bottle. He records them in a book. For some of you, that's a big book. But he records every tear. He pays attention to every sorrow. And it's the exact opposite of what we often think. God is deeply interested in your pain. He's incredibly concerned about your sorrow and your grief and your hardship and the confusion and the disappointment. It does touch his heart when you shed tears and grieve and go through times in your life when you're trying to process. In fact, it says he groans in agony with us. Why? Because he knows it's the effect of sin that's touched this world, that's causing the pain and the sorrow and the grief that one day he wants to take away in heaven. That there would be no more sorrow and no more pain. And he's deeply concerned here. And I believe nothing's changed about the Lord because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same way as you grieve and sorrow and sigh and are, are touched with that, the Lord in the same way shows up and he's present to help and he's concerned and he's burdened and he wants to help you through that process and he is touched by it and compassionate and helpful in those occasions. It says in verse 34, and when he said, 
Uh, excuse me. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, again, groaned in the spirit, verse 34, then he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus now turns the conversation to where is Lazarus's body? Where has he been placed? And they say, Lord, come and see. We'll, we'll take you to the tomb. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said in response to seeing Jesus weep, see how he loved him. So here you get a picture again of Jesus attending a funeral. I love this picture in the Bible because it reminds me, what should I do as a Christian when someone loses a loved one? I should show up because Jesus did. I should show up. You should show up. You should show up. Listen, you have to spend money for a gift when it's a wedding. Funerals are free. And people need you a lot more there. And here Jesus shows up. And he grieves with those who are grieving. And he takes the time to draw close to them and be there in support of them. And what a beautiful picture, a revelation of God here, being emotionally moved to cry. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. If you struggle with Bible memorization, no more excuses. There you go. Jesus wept. When you look at the term there in the Greek, it's not a term that speaks of weeping convulsively, but it speaks of tears just quietly streaming down the face of Jesus as he's there and he's moved within. He's groaning in his spirit and he's touched with the emotion of it all, demonstrating what? The right response to people in the midst of hardship. Demonstrating the appropriate response in this situation. Here is a perfect man Gentlemen, pay attention. Here's a strong man. You're not going to beat this guy in an arm wrestling match. It's Jesus. And what's he doing? He's expressing emotion. He's crying even publicly at appropriate times. And here he is amidst his loved ones. And Jesus, again, was not weak in any way, but yet he wept on occasion when it was appropriate to do such. And can I just remind us, therefore, it is not weak to cry. And I'm sorry if that's what your daddy taught you. It's not weak to cry. Can I just remind us? God created the human body and guess what he created in it? Tear ducts. They're there for a reason. So your head doesn't pop off. <laughs> it's a pressure relief valve that God wired within us for healthy purposes to release emotion and stress and pressure that we feel to cope with things and adjust in a healthy way. As people saw Jesus weep, it says there that when they saw Jesus start to weep like others, they said, verse 36, oh, see how much Jesus loved Lazarus. They, they thought he was just crying like everybody else, grieving because this was his dear friend. He loved this family. They assumed it was natural grief. However, we've read the whole chapter, right? Remember, what's Jesus going to do in a few moments? He's going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. So he's going to do an incredible miracle and bring Lazarus back from the dead. So the question then becomes in the text, wait a minute. If Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus back from the dead and get to greet him and see him again in a few moments, why would he be grieving? Why would he be weeping? He's not weeping over not being with Lazarus anymore. I believe the reason that Jesus is weeping there is because like you and I, he hates the death process and the effect that it has upon those who are left behind. 
who have to deal with the process of death of a loved one, the pain and the turmoil and the confusion and the, the foreign experience of having to deal with it. We have to always remember, death is something that we were never intended to deal with originally by God's design. It was never part of God's plan. God simply said to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of that tree, one prohibition, you shall surely die. And of course, when they disobeyed God, the death process came into the world as a consequence of man's sin and disobedience. And thus death has now spread to all of humanity. But we need to realize death is a horrible human experience that we all have to face personally and go through repeatedly when we lose loved ones in the death experience, but it was something that was never part of God's original heart or design for humanity. It was something he never wanted. It's only a consequence in the human existence now as the result of sin. And since it was never God's original plan for us, personally, I don't think we're wired for it. I think that's why when the death experience happens, it feels so strange or foreign. Listen, I've gone through the death of loved ones in my own life, and I've officiated more funerals than I like to tell you. Of Christians, of non-Christians, of gang members, on occasions when people call and say, will you do this funeral for a person that nobody else wants to do a funeral for because it was... And I tell you this, no matter how many times I have done a funeral or a memorial service and don't even know the person... I could almost cut with a knife the feeling of grief that I feel and the strain. It never becomes familiar it ne because it's something I believe we don't have a file for it. We experience the death experience and we go to reach for the file. How do you process death? And, and there's no file for it. And that's why it is so strange and it's so hard and painful and difficult as we work through the process of coping and adjusting and grieving. And thankfully, we have the Lord's help. But that's why it's so foreign to us. And I think Jesus here is weeping at the funeral service, if you would, of Lazarus because he hates the process and what it does to those that are left behind that must face it and work their way through it. Well, verse 37 goes on to say this, and some of them said, could not this man who had opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So they expressed their own confusion, those standing around. Wait a minute, this is the same man who opened the eyes of a blind man. Why didn't he just prevent his friend Lazarus from even dying initially? Verse 38 says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, watch this, comes to the tomb and it was a cave with a large stone laid against it. That was typical. And Jesus said, imagine this, verse 39, take away the stone. Now, Jesus makes a very bold statement here to everybody assembled. And I'm sure the shock factor is beyond what we're really grasping just reading this text. You have to envision this here. The Bible told us Lazarus is not only dead, but that he's actually been in the tomb. How many days? Okay. So I want you to envision this in all seriousness. This would be like someone dies. And so we have the funeral process. We go to the grave site. The casket is lowered down into the ground. They backfill the casket with dirt. Four days later pass by. And then four days later, after they backfill the dirt over the casket, a group of mourners assemble back out to that grave site. And Jesus is with us. And Jesus says something like this. Dig up the casket and open it up. That's what this would be like. This man has been buried for four days in a hot mid-eastern climate when bodies decay and decompose rather quickly. This is a very unusual, odd request here. 
We, we have to understand. That's why verse 39 goes on to say that Martha, she was the vocal one, remember? She said, Martha, the sister of the one dead, Lord, by this time, there is a stench. It stinketh in there, she says. For he has been dead for four days. See, this seems completely unreasonable. It almost seems a bit offensive. So she's somewhat questioning what Jesus is asking because this is way outside of the norm of what people did. This is outside of typical protocol. It's not the normal way people do things. Jesus is doing something that seems almost a little bit risky. He's asking something that seems somewhat foreign. So she's kind of challenging his idea saying, Lord, are you sure about that? Are, are you sure? Do you real if we do what you're asking, do you realize how on you Lord, are you sure about that? I think this reminds us sometimes the Lord may work in a way, shocker, that's not typical. And it may not meet the cultural way of doing things in society. Oh, this is the way good responsible people do things. Well, it may be. But sometimes Jesus supersedes that. And sometimes the Lord wants to work in a unique way for his glory and purposes. He may not do things the way they're usually done. He may do things differently, uniquely. But when that happens, sometimes maybe even if it seems a little risky or confusing, we get concerned and confused and we kind of become like them here. And we say, Lord, are you sure about that? Lord, do you realize if I do that? Lord, are you sure about what you're asking me to do here? Lord, this is risky. This seems on you. Lord, if I do that, then, and we go through this same experience. Well, look what Jesus says, verse 40. He said to her in response, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus reminds Martha here what he said initially to this whole experience that though it was a hard experience, though it was a difficult process they were going to go through, this was not easy, this was a tragedy, a hardship, but the result of it would be the glory of God would be displayed. In other words, this circumstance, this tragedy, this crisis, this hardship would become actually a stage, a platform for Jesus to be glorified on the stage of that drama of the hardship and the personal crisis and difficulty of that family. And he reminds her here, Martha, didn't I tell you? I told you when this all began, didn't I tell you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God, Martha, I promised you I was going to use this hard experience for good purposes. I sense Jesus is trying to say to her, Martha, trust me. Trust me here, Martha. I know what I'm doing here. Let me work. Believe me. Trust me and just let me work. Have faith. And if you believe and let me work, you're going to see the power of God. And I'm going to be glorified through this. But you got to trust me here. You got to let me work in the midst of this. Perhaps this is a word of the Lord for one of you or some of you in your situation that Jesus is saying to you in your situation. Did I not tell you that if you'd believe, you'll see the glory of God? And he may be asking us to believe, to trust him, to let him work, that he might glorify God in the midst of our life or a situation. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you, notice key word, have heard me. That is what I've already asked of you. 
And now I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So as the people start removing the entrance now, uh, the stone, this large stone, Jesus purposely, the Bible shows us here, starts to pray out loud. And he starts to pray out loud because he wants to indicate that his activity and what he's doing is in complete alignment with the Father in heaven. Do you notice he says there, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. The idea is you've already heard me because, Father, you and I, even before this moment now, have already discussed this. We've already dialogued about this as Father and Son and one in the Trinity. And we've already determined that we are going to raise Lazarus back from the existence of the dead to demonstrate the power and the glory of God and who Jesus was. So he says, Father, I know you always hear me, but I'm praying this out loud right now for the sake of everybody standing by here right now, that they may know that you sent me from heaven and that you and I are one and that I may be glorified in their midst that Jesus, the Son of God, would be glorified. Remember, Jesus said he was doing all these things in the time frame he was that the Son of God might be glorified through this. And this is a reminder, again, that the way the Lord works at times in situations or the way he's working in your life or maybe the timing of how he's operating in a situation, even during a hardship, is often done with the direct intention of causing people's attention to be turned to Jesus. And it's not always just what the Lord does. Sometimes it's how he does it that matters absolutely just as much. Because his goal and his attention is that people would see the awesomeness of Jesus' love and his power and his wisdom and the way that God can work in situations. And one of the most important things in all of our life experiences, ladies and gentlemen, good experiences, bad experiences, hardships and difficulties, painful times. One of the most important things is that those things can be used by God and his sovereignty and his wisdom and ways to bring people's attention to Jesus, whether it's drawing us closer to Jesus, giving us a greater revelation of the Lord, or whether it's people seeing the hand of the Lord and recognizing who he is for themselves. And that's what happens in this story here. Look as it goes on, verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he then cried out, key word, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped like a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Now again, I want to say here, don't miss the impact of the reality of what's happening here. They're at a gravesite of a man who's been buried for four days and now this miracle takes place. Again, we, we really need to seek to envision the full effect. Jesus is at a gravesite of a man who's been dead for four days with people whose emotions are raw. Raw emotions. Grief and pain. And now he brings them there. He says, take back the stone. They've already done that. And then Jesus does not quietly call for Lazarus. He, he doesn't just quietly call in case it didn't work. It wouldn't be too awkward. You know, he didn't. Lazarus, come forth. I mean, it wasn't one of these just in case. Maybe only one person heard me. Lazarus, come forth. Okay. So shall we talk about something else? Today? That wasn't the case. It says he cried out with a loud voice. He purposely projected his voice so that everyone there could hear and said, Lazarus, come forth. With confidence, with absolute assurance, 
he states, Lazarus, come back from the dead and come join us here again. And here Jesus, the eternal son of God, calls forth Lazarus and says, the man who had died came out walking in his grave clothes. Jesus, the eternal son of God, speaks into the eternal dimension speaks to a clinically dead man whose spirit had departed from his body to the place of the dead, to the eternal dimension, he speaks forth and calls Lazarus' spirit to return back to his physical body and to come back to life physically once again, which proves Jesus has the power over even the permanency and the strength of death itself. The incredible power and the authority of Jesus. He chose to restore the life of Lazarus to reveal who he was, to demonstrate what he was able to do. Not even the permanency, listen, of death itself can limit Jesus. Not even the permanency of death itself can hinder Jesus. Some of you need to remind, remember that this morning. You need to remember this morning that Jesus has the power to restore even what's dead. Oh, you understand, it's just, it's so permanent. I mean, it's, this is dead, man. This opportunity, dead end. This situation, dead end. This relationship, dead end. That rela- it, you understand, it's dead. I'm dead to you. It's dead. Jesus goes, so? So? If I wanted to come back to life, I can do a resurrection. And how important for us to be encouraged to remember that sometimes we deal with things and we think, oh, absolutely impossible. The Bible says there is nothing impossible with God. Nothing impossible. And there may be a situation. And if it is the will of God and if it is for the glory of God, Jesus is not limited by even death. He's never limited to still work if he so chooses to for his glory and purposes. Now, considering poor Lazarus, what that guy was enjoying, I'm thinking to myself, He had to be a bit disappointed to return, to come back to earth. I bet this poor guy was never the same. He probably was depressed the rest of his living life. You know, I can imagine just being uh, there. You have to go back, Lazarus. No! And and having to come back. Who prayed for this? I mean, this poor guy. I mean, he had to come back after he was in the midst of glory. Well, Lazarus comes forth wrapped in his grave clothes. Jesus says, loose him. And let him glow. Ghost glow. <laughs> he may have been glowing, maybe. <laughs> he is now alive, so what's the point? He doesn't need his, his clothes, his, they wrapped in bombed bodies. He does not any longer need those old grave clothes. He needs to be set free so that he can live in a different existence now. And this is a beautiful picture in some ways, as you just see it in the Bible, really of Jesus' intention when we're saved. We're brought from death to life. He calls us out of spiritual death and makes us alive in Christ. And we've been given a brand new life. And when you come back from spiritual dead existence and you come alive in Christ, this is what Jesus wants, to to remove those old things that would bind and hinder you that you might live for him as he's called you forth into that life. Verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things Jesus did, they believed in him. So notice the presence and power of Jesus being displayed like he promised glorified him in such a way that many who saw what Jesus did, even here at this funeral, they saw Jesus and what he did and they believed in him. His power displayed, his love displayed, even this hardship created an opportunity for many people 
to see the power and person of Jesus and their hearts turn towards him in belief. What a wonderful thing. Listen, I don't like hardship any more than the next person. I don't like dealing with difficulties, family, crisis, tragedy, anything that has pain, sorrow, or suffering myself personally, nor do I enjoy walking through those processes with people when they go through that. But we also need to remember, even hardships can, by God's loving wisdom, create an opportunity for people to see the Lord work and believe in Him. And we have to realize there's, there's sometimes a trade-off in that. That God can redeem even tragedies for his good purposes, though we may not understand them, that Jesus can use hard times to reach those connected to us. And this is what happens here. People see and they believe in him. But some, verse 46, they went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. So these were the spiritual tattletales. They run back to the religious leaders. And the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. So they're bewildered at the power of the Lord. They don't know what to do. They want to eliminate them, but they're baffled. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, becoming high priest that year, being high priest, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us, beneficial, that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So they express fear that the life of Jesus and his growing following was going to lead a revolt among those who were there in Israel and that the Romans would get angry. Caiaphas, the high priest in that year, speaks up and he says, listen, you don't realize Rome will never tolerate an insurrection. If Jesus is presenting himself as a king and people are following him, he says Rome will squash that so quickly. This is actually to our benefit. It's better that Jesus just be put to death for seeking to lead what's perceived as a rebellion as a new king in Israel than we all would die as the result. So that's why he says, verse 50, it's actually beneficial for us that one should die for the people rather than the whole nation should die. Well, verse 51, John says, this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So here John writes this interesting insight in hindsight to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as he records the gospel. The Holy Spirit showing him, wow, that day that Caiaphas said that, that actually was God superintending even over that man's words to bring forth a prophecy of how Jesus as one man would die for the whole nation of Israel. And not only that he would die for the Jews, his own people, sacrificially like an offering, but more than that, that Jesus would be dying as a substitute, he says, for all nations so that God may bring together Jew and Gentile as the children of God to those who would believe in him as the result of what? Of the death of Jesus Christ. That his death and what it accomplished would not only reconcile, listen, not only reconcile men back to God, but it would bring reconciliation among humanity. And the barriers that separated Jews and Gentiles, that there would be a unity that would come as a result of the death of Jesus. And let me say this by way of application this morning. Do you want to know what the best antidote for our culture is for issues of ethnic tension and racism and those problems? It's not a certain president. It's not protests. It's not programs. 
And by golly, it's sure not shooting police. It's preaching the cross of Jesus Christ to people. And pointing people to the Prince of Peace who under the banner of his life can unify people who all realize their value equally because he died for all of us universally. That is the antidote that we're greatly lacking. Well, let's finish up our chapter here. It says, verse 53, from that day they plotted to put Jesus to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city of Ephraim and there remained with his disciples. So he pulls back from public ministry now at this point, we'll see. And the remainder of John's gospel, these last days of Jesus' life, he focuses on individual ministry with his disciples because the public tension has become too much at this point. And the Passover of the Jews, verse 55, was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Again, this is the final Passover of Jesus' life where he will now become the fulfillment of the Lamb of God, that Passover Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. So people are now gathering to Jerusalem. The final Passover is about to happen to prepare themselves. And verse 56 says, They sought Jesus, they're looking for him among the Passover crowd, and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, saying, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, that he should report it, that they might seize him. So everyone at this point now is seeking Jesus among the crowds, but notice they're seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. It says here that they are seeking Jesus. Why? Because the religious leaders have put a bounty on his head. They want to put him to death. So it says the people are now looking for Jesus. It says they sought Jesus, but for an unhealthy reason, the wrong reason. Let me remind you this morning that it is possible and it is sad that today people sometimes still seek Jesus for the wrong reason, for wrong reasons. Sometimes people seek Jesus because they think Jesus will just make their life more happy. And that guy on the screen, well, he smiles and always looks so happy and he just says Jesus. He doesn't tell us anything else. He just says Jesus. And, and maybe if we seek Jesus, he'll make us richer. Or he'll fix our problems or he'll give us a boyfriend or get rid of our boyfriend or give us a wife or get rid of our wife. Or if we seek Jesus, he'll be like a divine genie. If we could just rub the bottle, he'll give us what we want if we just say, in Jesus' name. Can I encourage us? There's a right reason to seek Jesus. It's because he has the power over death. And we all deserve death because we sin against a holy God. And Jesus came and lived the sinless life I can't live and then died sacrificially as an offering, a substitute, and took my punishment and your punishment. And then he defeated the power of death so that he could be a living Savior who if you come to him and say, Lord, I don't want to die in my guilt and my shame. And he says, wonderful. If you believe what I did for you, I can take away your sin. I can forgive your guilt. I can give you eternal life. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He is the Lord of all. That's the reason we should seek him. Let's stand together. Let's pray.